Turn with me this morning, 2 Samuel chapter 9. We will look at verses 6, 7, and 8. Every now and then you see a a passage in the Bible that, that mirrors the entire gamut of the Christian experience. And that is the case with our passage this morning. Maybe it's a story that you've never heard before. Charles Swindoll said, it is the greatest illustration of grace in the entire Old Testament. Read with me starting in verse 6. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore you to all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage, and he said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Our story this morning plays out in three acts. Act 1, Act 2, and Act 3. So let's begin our story with Act 1, and you will, you will see it there in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Act 1, the kindness of the king. Our story picks up on a battlefield, northern Israel. The Philistines and the Israelites are fighting back and forth, and the Philistines are gaining the upper hand. King Saul is leading the charge of the the Israelites. And so the the Philistines back the, the Israelites all the way up to Mount Gilboa. King Saul is in a chariot. An arrow is shot at him. It strikes a vital organ between his pieces of armory. He knows the wound is mortal. He asked his armor bearer, would you kill me? I don't want it to be said that a Philistine killed King Saul. The armor bearer refused because he was God's anointed. So Saul fell on his sword himself and died there at Mount Gilboa that day. Also in the battle, King Saul's son, Jonathan, was killed. So the question arose, who's next? Who's next in line for the kingship? Saul is dead. Jonathan's dead. And so the word got back to the palace that both the king and the king's son had died in the battle. So they're, they're thinking, who is, who's next in line? And it would be little Jonathan's little five-year-old son, Mephibosheth. And so they were afraid the Philistines would march toward the palace having killed the king and the king's son, now they're going to be after the king's grandson. And so, fearing that, they decided we need to get him out of the palace and to safety. So a nurse who was in charge of taking care of him, we're told about this story in 2 Samuel chapter 4. A nurse was in charge of caring for a little five-year-old Mephibosheth. And she thought, I've got to get him out of the palace. So she picks him up and, and takes off running with him. And as she's running out of the palace, She trips and falls and drops Mephibosheth. And he had a spinal injury. He was paralyzed. Both feet 
partial paralysis of both. The Bible said he was lame in both feet. So she picked him up and carried him to safety. As we know, David was the next king of Israel. And there was fear in the house of Saul that David would come and execute little Mephibosheth because that was standard in that day, still is in a lot of countries in the Middle East. Whenever a king takes the throne, everyone who is of the house of the former king, they're afraid of a coup, they're afraid of political rivals. And so they go in and execute the entire house of the former king. And so they thought David may do that. And so they feared for the life of this little five-year-old boy who couldn't walk. He's disabled. They thought, what do we do with him? So they, so they took him to a barren part of Israel known as a little community called Lodibar. It meant no pasture. Barren, south of the Sea of Galilee, across from Mount Gilboa, across from Beth Shean, across the Jordan. And so they hid him there in the house of a man by the name of Machir, who was the son of Amiel. Now, Amiel, Bathsheba had a son named Amiel, but it's probably not that when David would have known where he was. They were hiding him from David. And so, little Mephibosheth, five years old, life has changed. He'd gone from the prince in the palace to barrenness, living out in the, the desert and hiding and can't even walk, hopeless. The Bible tells us sometime later, it was about 15 years later actually, Fifteen years later, King David one day was thinking about the house of Saul. Now, if you remember, Saul's son, Jonathan, and David were good friends. So the Bible said David was thinking about the house of Saul, and, and he called in one of his servants by the name of Ziba, Z-I-B-A. Ziba, come here, I have a question for you. What is it, Your Majesty? Are there any relatives of the house of Saul left? And Ziba must have thought, uh-oh. We feared this day. He's going to kill them all. And I can imagine him being quiet for a moment. And David said, uh, Ziba, I, I wanted to show kindness to somebody of the house of Saul because Jonathan and I were friends and... God has extended kindness to me. I want to extend hesed or kindness to somebody at the house of Saul. And Ziba said, well, there, there is one. Uh, Jonathan had a, had a son. He's probably about 20 now. His name's Mephibosheth. And um, he's paralyzed. He, he can't walk. Both feet are lame. He's living in Lodibar, uh, in the house of Machir. They're hiding him. David said, send for him. I want to see him. Very well. Back in Lodibar, I can imagine a knock at the door. They go to the door, and there is Ziba, the servant of David, saying, uh, 
the king requests the presence of Mephibosheth in his palace. And probably fear struck Mephibosheth and the entire house of Saul. Oh no, the day we feared has arrived. So they picked him up and, he, and they put him on a cart, I imagine, and made the trek from Lodibar down to Jerusalem. It's 100 miles, by the way. It takes us about two hours on the bus. All 100 miles, I can imagine, Mephibosheth is thinking, when I get there, that's it. Life's over. So he nears the palace, and they're bringing him. And as he nears the palace, David sees them coming. And David yells out, Mephibosheth! And Mephibosheth probably thought, oh no, he knows my name. And my name is named after Baal. My grandfather is worshiping Baal, and I know David doesn't worship Baal anymore. And so even my name is a reminder to him he wants to get rid of me. He knows my name. He drew near, and they got Mephibosheth off of the cart. And he fell down before David, and he says, David, King David, I'm, I'm your servant. I pay homage to you. And David said, Mephibosheth, don't, don't be afraid. I know you're afraid. Don't be. I'm, I'm going to show kindness to you because of your father, David. He was a friend of mine. I mean, Jonathan. He was a friend of mine. And I'm going to show kindness to you. I'm going to do two things for you, Mephibosheth. I, I'm going to give you all the land of your grandfather, all in the north. All the land of Saul is now going to be yours. And the second thing... I'm bringing you into my palace as one of my own children. You're going to eat at the king's table like my kids. You're going to live in the palace like my kids. Mephibosheth, you're like one of my sons now. And Mephibosheth was shocked and said, Your, Your Honor, why? Why are you showing kindness to a, a dead dog like me? Can't even walk. And the Bible says in verse 11 of chapter 9, Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of David's sons. Verse 13 says, He lived in Jerusalem, always eating at the king's table, while lame in both feet. I can picture dinner time, can't you? Dinner time, a spread of food fit for a king. Tables all lined with a king's delicacies. You have a golden chalice and you have silver plates and you have David in his regal robes sitting at the head of the table and you have over on one side Absalom, muscular, handsome, bronze skin and you have on the other side of the table Tamar, beautiful, just tanned, Beautiful, gorgeous. And then you hear walking down the hallway with crutches. Clack, 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 clack. Finally gets to the chair, flops himself down into it, 
leans his crutches up against the king's table. And you're going, one of these doesn't belong. But because of the kindness of the king, there he is. Now, folks, that is a picture of you and me and his kingdom. You and I, spiritually disabled from a fall, the fall of mankind. And we're hiding from God, we're running from God, we're in, we're in a wasteland, but graciously because of the invitation of the king's son, Jesus, we're invited into the palace. You don't belong there, look out of place. So do I. Because it's holiness, and we're sinful. But because of the kindness of the king, you're there. I'm there. What baffles my mind is for those of you sitting out there that every Sunday we give you the invitation of the king, and for whatever reason, you reject it. And you still haven't received Jesus. And you still are in the kingdom. The invitation's yours. Go to Act 2, Deceit, chapter 16. I, I wish I could tell you this morning that our story ended there and we just closed the service, praise God that he would accept us in his kingdom and for Mephibosheth, life was wonderful ever after. But that's not what happened. The story starts to get complicated. Let me tell you what happened, Act 2. Act 2, as you look, you see seven chapters later. Absalom, one of David's sons, rebelled against David, wanted to take his kingship away from him, and a coup arose, and so he, he tried to become king, and so David did not want to fight. Absalom assembled forces, tried to go against David's forces. David did not want to fight against his own son, so he fled the palace, David did. He fled Jerusalem. Absalom moved into the palace, declared himself the king, and David, weeping, the Bible says, going up the Mount of Olives, out into the desert, he has fled the palace. And he's out there with just a few faithful supporters. Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, you remember? Ziba saddled a donkey and went out there to where David was, and he got two donkeys for David, and he brought David two donkeys. On the two donkeys were 200 loaves of bread, 100 bunches of raisins, and 100 summer fruit and something to drink. And David saw Ziba coming, and he said, Well, Ziba, thank you so much. Who's are these for? And he said, Well, these are for you, king, and for your servants. And he said, well, Thank you for your loyalty. 
So David ate and drank and said, By the way, Ziba, how are, how are things going back in the palace? And Ziba said, Well, Your Majesty, uh, I, I'm afraid we have some bad news. What? It's Mephibosheth. What happened? Well, he has rebelled against you too. What? He is now siding with Absalom, and he is hoping you lose so the house of Saul can be restored. Because, you see, King, those are his real roots. The lame boy you brought in, he's not the same. Folks, that was a lie. Mephibosheth hadn't changed. Ziba was deceiving David about Mephibosheth. Why would Ziba do that? We don't really know for sure why he would sell him out like that, but there are some theories. Most Bible scholars believe the reason he did that was because he was tired of working the fields and giving the produce to Mephibosheth, which is what David told him to do. And not only that, Ziba himself, we're told in chapter 9, had 15 sons and 20 servants of his own. He has mouths to feed. He's working the fields, sun up to sundown, and giving everything to Mephibosheth. He's tired of it. He's done it for seven chapters. And so he decided, enough of that. So David said to Ziba, Ziba, I'll tell you what, since Mephibosheth has turned against me, everything that he has, all of his possessions, are now yours. It worked. Ziba said, thank you, your majesty. And may my favor always be to you, and may your favor always be upon me. I pay my homage to you. Thank you, king. And he left. You see, folks, that's what the enemy does. The enemy convinces you God is against you. The enemy convinced David Mephibosheth was against him. You look at Job. The enemy convinced Job God was against him. That's his MO. He convinces you God is holding out on you. God really can't be trusted. That's what he tells you. That's what he tells me. That if you obey exactly what God says in his word, you're not going to make it financially. Culture is going to turn against you. Life is going to be hard. You're going to lose your job. And he convinces you God's against you. Because that's what the enemy does. I wish I could say this morning that once you get to come into the king's palace and you're saved, life is happy ever after, but it's not. There will always be those people who try to deceive you, try to use deception against you, try to take what you have, try to lie about you, and, and sometimes it works. There will always be those trying to harm you. Even Christians. 
And sometimes you may not think it's fair and you may develop a critical spirit. But we live in a fallen world that's harsh. And sometimes because of that, Christians think they should have had a better lot in life. And they get bitter and they get angry and they just get mad at God. Because of what somebody else did. Mephibosheth had every reason to be bitter. But I want you to look at the final act of the story. Act three. Loyalty. Chapter 19. Fast forward three chapters. David's son Absalom, as you know the story, was killed. So the coup was over. David grieved, grieved badly the, the death of his son, but Absalom was killed, so David moved back into the palace and came back to Jerusalem after being exiled for three chapters. And so David is going back to the palace now for the first time, and as he enters the gates of the palace, he looks over, and guess who he sees? He sees Mephibosheth. And he looks rather odd. Mephibosheth, um, have, he hasn't bathed. Hasn't washed his clothes. He's filthy. His hair's long. Beard's long. Hasn't trimmed or taken care of his feet, the Bible tells us. He's a mess. Now, in biblical days, whenever the king would leave the palace for whatever reason... Servants that were loyal to the king would go into grieving until the king came back. They wouldn't bathe, they wouldn't wash, they wouldn't shave, they wouldn't cut their hair. However long the king was gone, it was a sign of loyalty to the king and a sign of grief. And so he, he saw Mephibosheth with a sign of grieving because the king had gone. And David must have thought, wait, wait, hold on, wait, that doesn't sound like he's turned against me. That doesn't sound like what Ziba said. It doesn't sound like he's rebelled at all. He's, he's in a state of mourning because I'm gone. And so he, he says, Mephibosheth. Yes, Your Honor. Confused. Mephibosheth, why, why didn't you go with me and stay loyal to me as I was fleeing Jerusalem? He's testing him. And Mephibosheth said, Honor, uh, <laughs> I can't walk. Oh, oh yeah. And whenever Zeba came to see you earlier, he only told me that he was saddling one donkey for himself and that I could not go. Zeba told you that? Yes. And then listen to what Mephibosheth said. He said, oh, king, I know what happened. I know that Ziba convinced you that I'm against you, that I've rebelled. He slandered me. I know that. 
And I know, king, that he has convinced you to take all of my possessions and give them all to him. I understand that. But, oh, king, you have every right to do what you want. You're the king. And just seeing you here is like seeing the angel of God in face to face. So, King, you owe me nothing. I have everything I need in your palace. I don't need my possessions. King, I'm of the house of Saul, and, and we were doomed. And, and I was living out in a wasteland. I was at Lodabar, no pasture. I was out there, and life was terrible. But, oh, my Lord, at your invitation, you brought me into the palace. And you made me one of your own children. And you let me eat at your table. You don't owe me anything. You've already given me way more than I need. So, King, I have no complaint against you. Whatever you want to do is fine with me. And David said, you don't have to speak anymore, Mephibosheth. Ziba tricked me. Now, I, I promised him your possessions, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take half of your possessions, give them back to you, and let him, him have half, because I did promise him something. So you can have half. And he can have half. And Mephibosheth said, King, he can have it all. I don't care. I'm just glad you're home. End of story. Man, I wish there were Christians that had the attitude of Mephibosheth. That when bad things happen, God, you owe me nothing more. You brought me into your kingdom. Whenever I die, I'm going to get to live with you. Who cares about anything else? You've already given me more than I deserve. But instead, we have Christians getting bitter and angry, quitting church, mad God. And he's already given you more than you deserve. Boy, for the loyalty of a lame man like Mephibosheth. God, no matter what happens in life, I am true to you. I'm true to your house. I'm not leaving church. I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to follow your word. I don't care what culture says. I don't care who gets mad. I'm going to follow your word. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be in your house. I'm going to follow your commands. I'm going to be with your people, period. care what happens. And if we had believers like that, wow, what an impact we could have. There was an article in Forbes magazine back in 2020. 
how one retailer changed the entire retail industry. Guess who it was? Starbucks. Starbucks have what is called Starbucks Rewards. When you join, they give you benefits because of your loyalty to them, free coffee, free refills, bonus days, add-on items. And they started this card right here back in November of 2001, and it is now the most common gift card out there. They now have 20 million members of their rewards program, by far greater than any other retailer. So in this Forbes article, it says, Starbucks, how did you do it? All the other retail industry, they want to know how you did it. You know what they said? Relationships. We train all of our baristas. If you see people coming back over and over and over, you get to know them. You be their friend. You develop relationships. Because, Starbucks says, relationships equals loyalty. Stronger the relationship greater the loyalty. And that is exactly what Mephibosheth said and what he teaches us. And this morning, if your loyalty to Christ really isn't where it should be, maybe you're hit and miss at church, hit and miss reading the Bible, hit and miss on all of God's commands, maybe it's not that you're just undisciplined. Maybe it's there's a relationship problem. Because the stronger the relationship to him, the greater will the relationship with him. Father, I want to thank you today for this story and for the Mephibosheth. And God, it is my prayer that each of us will have his spirit. God, first of all, I want to pray during this invitation for those who've been rejecting the invitation of the king to come into the palace to trust Jesus. They will reject it no more. And in just a moment, God, they will get up out of their pews, walk forward, get up out of their seat if they're in the balcony, walk forward and accept the invitation to the palace through Jesus Christ as Savior. Father, I want to pray also for those sitting out there that may have lost their loyalty to you. They're letting what people have said and what people have done and what life has dealt them to make them bitter and angry, critical. God, may you put within every heart like that the spirit of Mephibosheth. In Jesus' name, amen.